Again, good morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, we began our new sermon series called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and together, we are working through, week by week, uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, we've been encouraging one another to read, actually, through the book ourselves. We're going to hit on some key verses, not to be able to cover everything. So if you haven't done that, jump in this week and get started reading Acts chapter 2 with us. But we're going to uh, press on. We took last week off, took a little time off. And so I want to take um, just a second uh, to summarize kind of where we are um, so far. So at the beginning of Acts, Jesus, he gathered his followers to him. And just before he returned to heaven to his father, he said to them these words. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it was a promise that Jesus made and a promise that was fulfilled uh, some days later when the Holy Spirit came in a unique and powerful way during the festival of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and filled Jesus' followers with power, the power necessary to carry out the mission that he had called them to, the mission to take his kingdom message to the very ends of the earth. And so what was true for these early followers um, of Jesus is true for us. That's what we've said, that we have the same mission today. And because we have the same mission to be the witnesses of, of Jesus and his kingdom way in the world, we too need this same power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that's where we pick things up uh, in Acts. I want to invite you to turn uh, to Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Um, if you want to grab one of those blue Bibles on the seat near you, you can turn to page 772. And that's where we'll be this morning, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36. Now remember, earlier in chapter 2, um, the Spirit did come, and the Spirit was accompanied by signs. The signs were fire and wind, and that they were able to speak languages um, that, uh, that helped them communicate uh, and worship the Lord so other people around could hear. And the phenomenon of those signs actually had a very specific purpose in one sense. It was to draw people um, from uh, the city to come and see what was going on. So this large crowd uh, of thousands of people uh, gathers around, and it's at that point the Apostle Peter, he stands up, and full of the Holy Spirit, he says to them, this is the good news of Jesus, and he proclaims the gospel. And then in verse 37, after he's done that, it says that people, when they heard the good news about Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And so they put their faith in Jesus in response to Jesus, uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter's sermon. Um, they were cut to the heart. That is, a, something happened uh, within them, within their hearts, at the core of who they are, when they encountered the risen Jesus, the spirit of the risen Jesus, through the proclamation of the gospel. And so when they encountered the spirit of Jesus, it changed something within them, but it also, it changed their lives. Now, how do we know that it changed their lives, changed the way they lived. Well, we know that because of what's told to us in verse 42. Look at verse 42. We just read these words. They devoted themselves in response to what had happened to them, this transformation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and notice this, they had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what had happened to them, this encounter they had with Jesus, it changed everything for them. It changed their relationship with God. It changed their relationship with each other. And notice it transformed their relationship with money and possessions. Very interesting. Luke notes this twice in the passage, that there was a radical change in the way that they thought and the way they used their money. Um, This newly formed community of Jesus, this wasn't just a fluke. This wasn't a one-time thing. We're told again in just a few chapters, it happens, uh, Luke tells us that this continued, this this community that was being shaped in this way, that they continued this way of life together, of sharing their life, sharing their possessions, and using their money in this new radical way. Now, when we encounter something like this, I I think in the Bible, this this description of this community and how they were living and how they were using their money and possessions, I think in our kind of Western, individualistic, capitalistic kind of perspective, we get very uncomfortable very quickly with this whole idea of shared money and shared possessions. I think for some of us, the first place we go uh, is we go to kind of 1960s hippie commune type world, all right? That's what we imagine is going on. They're all sitting around and tambourines and all kinds of other things are happening here. And they're all just sharing their possessions. Or maybe you go to this place in your head where you imagine some kind of cult group that's going to... St- Uh, scoot off to Alaska, and they're just going to live off the grid, and they're going to live their own way, this new way of life together. We, We kind of conceptualize this in that way, and it's interesting because this is not that. That's not what's being described here. This is not that. It's not um, communism. It's not a precursor to some kind of socialist welfare state. That is not what is happening in these verses. It's something altogether different. It's something I would say, much more radical than any of those things. And this is what's happening. In this moment, what is happening is a community of people have had their hearts captivated by a loving and generous God. A community of people have had their hearts totally captivated by a loving and generous God. And it's transforming them. I remember when... um, when I proposed to Langley, I was so excited. So I had saved up what for me at the time was a, a lot of money and bought her uh, a ring. And I, I remember I carried the ring around everywhere in my pocket, everywhere I went for like three weeks. I had the ring in my pocket. I just was so nervous. Kept it right there. And then the, the day finally came around. It was, uh, it was one year after our first date. I, uh, I had planned this big proposal because our first date was on New Year's Eve. And so I was going to propose on New Year's Eve. Uh, and so I talked to her dad. He had a corner suite in this high-rise building in downtown Raleigh. And uh, I knew that right outside that window was where they shot off all the fireworks in downtown Raleigh. So I, I tried to, like, line it all up so I could get there in time for us to see the fireworks. So I got a buddy of mine. I, we bought, like, I think, like, 12 dozen roses, enough candles to burn the building down. Like, we put it all in there. We set it all up. I got two pink champagne flutes because she loves pink. Um, and uh, some bottle of champagne I could not pronounce the name of. And we set it all up. 
And then Langley and I went out to dinner with some friends. And then, again, I timed it just so that we would get there at the perfect moment, which meant in Langley's mind we were running very, very late. So she was mad at me the whole time that we were going through dinner. And she's like, we got to go. We got to get there on time to see the fireworks, all this stuff. So we finally get there. We go up in the elevator. We walk in the room. And she sees the candles. And she sees the roses. And she gets teary-eyed. And I get teary-eyed. And I drop to one knee. And I put the ring on the wrong hand. (laughs) And she was like, can you put it on the other one? And I said, of course. (laughs) And then I said, "Uh, will you marry me? And she said, yes, I'll marry you. And I kid you not, as soon as she said yes, fireworks went off right outside the window. (laughs) At eye level, because we were so high. Like all these fireworks just blowing. Literally fireworks went off when she said yes, she would marry me. Now, why do I tell you that story? So I tell you that story because the question is, why does someone go to all that kind of trouble? Why spend all that time? Why spend all those resources? Why spend all that money? I think the answer is obvious, right? I did all that because I love her. I still do things like that because I love her. And I think when we talk about giving to God, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, when we talk about money in the church, I think so often That's not where we start. Giving to God is an act of love in response to who God is and what he's done for us. It's not about calculated amounts. It's not about percentages. It's not about being inspired by some great vision or mission or projects or anything else. First and foremost, it is about responding to God in love. We give to God out of our love for God. The early followers of Jesus, they shared their possessions. They gave generously to those in need, not because they had to, not because they were supposed to, but because, Luke tells us, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Their hearts were captivated, in other words, by the person of Jesus. And when that happened, it was only natural. It was a natural outflow of their lives than to want to give out of this new and growing love for God that they were experiencing in their lives. So we could spend all morning looking at different passages in the Bible about money and giving. There are commands, there are practical suggestions, there are examples, there are exhortations all about money and giving. Everywhere in the Bible, it's consistent. Coveting and greed and those types of things condemned, generosity and charity affirmed and encouraged. The Bible talks about money a lot. And here's what I would say. If I had to sum everything the Bible says about money, here's the bottom line. It's that God says so much about money because God understands there is this deep and powerful connection between money and our hearts. There's something going on when it comes to money and our hearts. There's this powerful connection. And Jesus said it this way. We just read this verse a few moments ago from Matthew 6. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Keller, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, he, he put his finger on it, I think, well when he writes this. He said, it's always effortless to spend money on that which is your real God, the real source of your hope, your meaning, your happiness, your significance, your security. No matter what you say you believe, money will always show you what you actually worship. To say it another way, money will always show you what you love. 
And here's the thing. It's not just about giving more. Don't hear me say that. Because the reality is you can give a lot and have nothing to do with love. Right? I think we all are aware of that. You can give without it being a loving thing. Uh, The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says this. He says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. You can give a lot to a great cause, but if it's done for the wrong reasons or with the wrong heart, God says, that's not what I'm after. God wants us to give out of our love for him. God himself set the example by giving uh, us the greatest gift we've ever received, and it was motivated by love. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because God loves us, he gives to us. It's his nature. He gives. And so as followers of Jesus, as children of our Heavenly Father, we simply do then what we see our Father doing. God gives because he loves us. And so we love, we give. It's what we do. So all of our giving then, in that sense, is a response to God's love and is worship. So if, if, if you want to know if your life is being shaped in a way that you're a worshiper, if you're experiencing worship in your life, what I would say is don't so much look at how many praise songs you happen to know. Don't look at your attendance on a Sunday morning. Look at your budget. Look at your giving. Jesus says if you really want a glimpse into your heart and how you feel about God, your love for God, your worship for God, look at how you use your money. The truth is Jesus wants us to experience the joy of worship that comes in giving. It's a joy because it's an act of worship. That's why he said uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when we give, it directs our attention and it draws our heart to Christ. When we give, God uses it to shape our character. It pushes back on our, our selfish and kind of materialistic tendencies in life. When we give, we invest in the things that are of eternal significance in God's kingdom, his mission. This is what God calls us to invest in. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says this. He says, uh, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. In other words, somehow in God's economy, when we give, not only are other people blessed by the things that we give, by the ways that we give, we ourselves are blessed when we give. How incredible is that phenomenon? That when we give away, it actually becomes a blessing to us. That the more we give, the more we give in love, the more God meets the needs of others and our own needs. It's this beautiful kind of upward spiral is the way I think about it. It, it kind of leads us on this upward spiral, making us more and more dependent on God, leading us to more and more gratitude and worship, and making us more and more and more effective as witnesses for God in the world. The more we give in love, we kind of spiral upwards. And that's our hope, right, here at, Ahos- at Apostles. We want to spiral up into this mission, into this life that God's inviting us to. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing among us and inviting us into this this life where we're drawn up into the life of God. And so as apostles, we articulate this this way. We say God has called us to be a community following Jesus in Houston. We want to be a people full of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to those around us and inviting those people in our lives to know Jesus and join us in this incredible experience of being captivated by Jesus in a way that transforms our lives. And it's a huge part of our mission to talk about giving 
Because it's all intertwined. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. Our giving is a huge and essential part of our life with Jesus and our mission together as a church. And so I want to talk about this in terms of our mission real quick. So first, we want to be a people that are following Jesus. That's what we say. We want to follow Jesus, to be with him, to become like him, and to do what Jesus did. We set our lives around those three goals. And so this includes our finances and our possessions. We want to learn the way of Jesus, and we want to see money in our lives the way that Jesus sees money. We want to see it as a blessing and as a means to bless. And so to follow Jesus then means to become a people who are marked by gratitude and marked by generosity. And so the question is, what if what's written about the early church uh, and these chapters that we're, we're talking about, chapter 2 and chapter 4, this picture of their life together, what if that became the way people described Apostles Houston in our city? What if that became our reputation? Uh, what if we so loved Jesus and we so loved one another that there was never a need in our community that went unmet? What if the boundaries of social and economic class that exist in the world out there disappeared? within this community? What if there was a sense of just overwhelming gratitude and joy within our community when it came to this area of giving and our finances and money? Not guilt, not obligation, but this faithful obedience and this love and response to God's love for us. What if that was what marked us? What if Jesus captivated our hearts to that degree? That's what it means to follow Jesus with our money. So we want to follow Jesus with our money. We, we want to live in community, and we talk about doing that as family, a community following Jesus. That means a family. Christ, or excuse me, church isn't just something that we go to. It's something that we belong to. It's not an institution. It's a family. You know, when I read Acts chapter 2, when I, when I look at this description of what's happening here, to me it sounds like a family. It sounds like a description you might write about what people look like who are living as family. You know, in the ancient world, uh, your family was uh, your central kind of location for everything in your life in terms of where you came uh, by your identity. It, it was where you came by provision and security. And, and your place in the world was very much located in the household in which you grew up and were raised and lived. And sometimes lived your entire life. And so it's important to understand that because in Jesus' uh, words in Matthew chapter 12, what he says is, I want you to step out of that primary understanding of your family and step into a whole new way of family. And he says these words. He says when his parent, when his mother and his brothers come to him, he says, who's my mother and who's my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and he said, here's my mother and here's my brothers. In other words, here is my family. Now, how could Jesus say that? How could he tell someone to leave behind their family in that sense and enter into this new family? That is a radical and strange thing for us to hear today, even more so in Jesus' time. And the only way Jesus could say that, the only way he could say there's a greater family than your blood family is by creating a family for them to be a part of. And he did that. When we're born into faith in Jesus, we become part of this new family, God's family. And any healthy family, any godly family, this is what it looks like in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. It looks like people who care for each other, who share with each other in times of plenty and want. It looks like a, a group of people who don't say it's mine, but say this is ours. That's what happens when you join God's family. 
And so we want to take Jesus' call to be family seriously at Apostles. One of the key ways that we do that is through life groups. And our vision for life groups, you could say, is kind of like that we want to experience life in these little families, these little groups of people all over the city who are living life together. We eat together once a week. We pray with and for each other. We read the scriptures. We practice the way of Jesus. We get coffee together. We go on trips together. We live life. We share mission. We do all this together because this is what life in Jesus looks like. It looks like family. And so what if your life group was the place uh, where you could go with any need, even financial needs? I mean, what if you could be vulnerable enough and honest with a, a group of people who are following Jesus about your budget, right? What if you could be really transparent about how you're using your finances and, and the help that you may need from time to time? I, I know this would be complicated and messy and, and it would be awkward because the truth is we don't like talking about money. We don't like talking about our debt. We don't like talking about our spending habits. We feel embarrassed. We feel ashamed. We feel exposed. But I would say if we want to experience the joy of letting God take control of our finances, we cannot do it in secret or do it alone. We need each other. We've got to get over this thing where we think that finances are something that are kept strictly private. That is not the way of the kingdom. And there's appropriate levels of transparency and vulnerability. But I think we're a long way from that, most of us. I know I am. And I think God wants to invite us into this place where we experience this freedom in the area of our finances. Because we're not alone. We're following Jesus together as a family, as a community. And so we, we do this. We press into this, following Jesus as community. And we do it in Houston. We do it in this place that God has called us to be. The need in our city is overwhelming, and we're a small church. But the question is, what is our part? What is our place in the kingdom work in Houston that God has called us to? The good news is that God has shown us and that he's given us a heart, I think, for two things. And we've talked about this. He's given us a heart uh, for the lost and a heart for the forgotten children. So first, for the lost. Um, the people in our lives that have yet to encounter this Jesus that we have been uh, transformed by, that we've been captivated by, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We want them to know Jesus and his great love for them. And so that's why we're investing time and money and resources in Alpha. We've been running Alpha the, for the past couple months, and uh, we're doing that because it creates this place, this space, this safe place, this pressure-free place or for our friends who don't know Jesus to encounter Jesus and explore Jesus and consider who he is and why it might matter in their lives. Even in just the few weeks that we've been running Alpha, um, it's been amazing to see what God has been doing in people's lives. Uh, we have friends there who are atheists, who are agnostics, who don't know what they believe, and they love it. They love coming to Alpha, and they keep coming back. In fact, some of them have even brought their other friends to Alpha, and the reason they say they're bringing their friends to Alpha is because they feel like it's a place where they feel accepted and they feel loved and they feel free to explore these big questions of faith. And they're hearing the good news of the gospel. They're hearing about Jesus and his love for them. And whether they realize it or not, they're encountering the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time we gather at Wednesday nights at Craftsman Bakery, God is doing amazing things in people's lives. And so we want to invest in that. We want to give more to that. We want to see more and more people. We want to run Alpha over and over and over again 
Because we want to see more people hearing about Jesus and becoming captivated with him just like we are. And so we want to press into that. And then the other thing is we want to press into this heart that we've got for forgotten children. God has given us a heart, I think, for forgotten children. The unwanted, the abused, the trafficked, those living in poverty. God has given us this amazing opportunity um, right here at Love Elementary. Just one block to the south of us is one of the most underserved schools in our city. One block away. And so God has placed us right here, a block away from that school, to be a blessing. He's blessed us in order to be a blessing. I I shared this with you guys uh, a few weeks ago, um, that we got this letter from the PTO president. And in the letter, she just talks about the fact that so often she feels like, um, like they're kind of all alone over there. And that no one's really helping them out and no one really cares. And then she, but she said, but then I remember that apostles cares. And that apostles is doing things to help us and come alongside us. And that's God. That's God doing an incredible thing through the life of the church. That as we are blessed, we are blessing those who desperately need to know that someone cares. And so we're doing that. And God is opening doors for us at Love Elementary. Another great example. We had Amber Knowles here last week talking about foster care and adoption. We feel like God's given us a heart for those who are in the foster care system. Harris County alone has some 3,000 kids, almost 3,000 kids in foster care. And Amber said last week, I think over 700 of those are waiting for someone to adopt them. And so we feel like God's given us this heart. And it's a heart uh, that breaks, like his heart breaks for these children who think they're forgotten, who think nobody, who thinks no one cares for them. And God cares. And so we care. And so we feel called not just to pray for them, but to action. Feel called to action. And so this is what God has called us to do, to love the lost and to love the forgotten children because that's his heart. And so what's our heart? And our heart, I would say, needs to show up in our budgets, right? God's heart needs to be expressed in the way that we're spending and stewarding our funds, our money. Personally, I need to take a look at that. Personally, you need to take a look at that. But also as a church, we want to constantly be bringing how we're stewarding our funds to the Lord and say, Lord, how can we use these to accomplish your mission in the city? How can we worship you with our money? How can we bless others as those who have been blessed? And so we want our actions and our money to follow our mission. And so just just to wrap up, this is what I would say. I would say if you are a part of this community and you feel like, yes, this is the call on our community, this is the mission that God has invited us into, if you feel like that's you, then, then step into this area of giving. Take a step of faith. Step into this because, it's again, it's not about figuring out a magic number or a percentage. It's about your heart before the Lord, right? It's about realizing that, man, if it's 10%, if it's 20%, if it's more, it's given out of the great joy of knowing that you are loved, that you have been transformed by the person of Jesus, that you are giving in love to God. So there's a lot more. Um, that we could say about giving this morning. But I want to encourage you, and you're going to hear more about this in a few minutes, just, just to pray, just to take the next three weeks or so, um, really to pray and ask the Lord, God, what does it look like to love you in this area of my finances? What does it look like to love you um, with my money? Um, and we put together a little something that I think will help you. Um, hopefully you got a letter or you got an email this week. Um, that included uh, an FAQ on giving. 
Uh, and there's just a lot of helpful information in there, both about what the Bible says about giving, about what we think about giving here at Apostles, but also just some practical things about our budget and how we're trying to be good stewards of what God's given to us as a church. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. If you didn't get one of those, there's some on the table. You can grab one uh, on the way out. Right next to them are these little commitment cards. And what we want to ask everyone to do is to pray and to fast and to ask the Lord, again, what does it look like for me to join in the mission of God at Apostles with my finances by giving. And you can fill out that, that commitment card and you can put it in an offering plate any Sunday between now and our commitment Sunday on November 11th. But God's inviting us. He's inviting us into this incredible mission that he's called us to. But he wants us to give out of our love for him. So let's give. Let's give because we love him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are the God who gives and gives and gives. Lord, from the beginning of creation, you have been giving. And so, Lord, we ask that you um, would just open our eyes to the ways that you blessed us. Lord, the ways that you blessed us in our personal lives, maybe in our family, in our work. Lord, the, not just the possessions we have, but, Lord, the life that we have in Christ. Lord, we want to be a people of gratitude so that we can be a people who are generous. And so, Lord, teach us what it means to be a generous people, a people who love you and honor you in every area of our life, especially in this area of finance, Lord. We love you and we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.